Our gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 1, and will also be the basis for our sermon today. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, in the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of my greatest childhood memories happened in the kitchen of the home in which we lived. This kitchen is a fairly good-sized kitchen. We lived in the the country uh, of Ohio, and so uh, had a fairly decent-sized home, and a part of that also was because my dad was a carpenter, and so he built the home he wanted, right? And he took a lot of pride in the things that happened and the things that were included in the home. And in the, the kitchen in particular, uh, I can still see the, the island that we would gather around that my mom would uh, set out all her baking supplies and, and preparations as she continued to, to make uh, desserts that I'd enjoyed. And can still smell the apple crisp as it filled the air and the smell of that. Uh, uh, there, there was in the, in the kitchen lots of oak, right? My, my dad was a carpenter and we had lots of like oak trim and he really prided himself. Like he was a, uh, a commercial carpenter by trade or that's what he did to you know pay the bills. But his hobby was to do trim carpentry and so we had this huge base like I don't know something like six inches um, uh, wide that went through the the house and when went uh, around the doors and rosettes at the top corners of the doors and crown molding and and it was oak and it was all in good carpenter doesn't paint wood that's like a, it's good oak right you stain it and bring the the grains out of of the wood and the kitchen 
had furniture that meant much of which was uh, Amish made, right? And so, again, uh, I think the furniture was actually maple, but uh, just huge uh, uh, dining room table, and it was beautiful, and lots of oak, and lots of maple, and lots of wood. And it was decorated, the kitchen was. Decorated, kind of in that uh, old country theme of, uh, of a kitchen. And so we had wicker baskets kind of on the ledge around the top of the, of the, um, of the kitchen and around the ceiling. And then we had uh, different signs and cutesy little things, carvings that were there. One in particular was a sign that looked something like this. A sign that says, Because I said so. Right? And uh, I think we know kind of what's behind that. Uh, uh, parents sometimes hang that sign up and when kids for the millionth time ask why, 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 at some point parents simply say, because I said so. And it's kind of a joke. Maybe a little bit of frustration, a little passive aggressive hanging a sign like that around the house. You know, but it's there, right? And, and so there were some things that my parents just said and we just did, hopefully, <laughs> as, as obedient kids, following them. But the older we get and the more experience in life, we, we recognize, like, just because someone says something, that doesn't always mean that we just do what they say. What gives that person the right, the authority? Jesus... In our text for today, from Matthew chapter 23, he's talking about a group of people who were in authority. Specifically, he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees, religious leaders. They would lead in the, the, the synagogues and in the temple. They would teach. They would teach on the Sabbath at the prayer services that they had in the synagogue. They would teach the children throughout the week so that they may learn the word of the Lord. There are people with respect, people with, with authority. And there are people who, as Jesus says here in verse 2, sit on Moses' seat. What's that mean? Well, in the synagogue, the, uh, archaeology has given some, uh, some evidence to support this. In synagogues, in these kind of churches, if you will, throughout communities, at the front of the church, there is a particular seat. And in that seat, the scribes and Pharisees, the people who are teaching at the synagogue service, they would go and sit while everyone else in the congregation stood up and, and listened as they read the word of the Lord and gave some instructions, right? So it's kind of different from, you know, whereas I'm standing today and you all are sitting, sort of flip-flop of that. But just by their position in 
Moses' seat, they had this authority. And, and what Jesus says, he says this. He says, so, so they sit in Moses' seat, right? Scribes and Pharisees, okay. Verse 3, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. They had authority given to them from God, and so they were to be listened to and followed and respected and honored. But Jesus was also quick to point out, so oftentimes, the religious leaders could be quick to speak and say what we should, 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 should do, but not do it themselves. Jesus talked about this. Uh, he says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, as opposed to our Lord Jesus, whose burden is easy, whose, whose load is light, right? Not this case. In this case, they're pouring on burdens. Do this, do that. They, there, there were um, commandments. Last week we talked about uh, the... Uh, whatever, 600-some-plus commandments in the Old Testament. But then around those commandments, there's the oral commandments that the Pharisees and scribes had, had uh, created to protect violating the commandments of the Old Testament. So, for example, remember the Sabbath. So the, so the scribes and Pharisees said, okay, Sabbath, we have to keep it holy. We have to rest. So they started counting the number of steps that someone could take on a particular Sabbath day before they would get close to violating the Sabbath, before they weren't resting hard enough. Right? And so you see where these burdens come out and, and are heaped upon people. And Jesus is warning. He's warning his, his disciples. He's warning the crowds. Just so you know, they're not doing the very things that they ask you to do. They're not lifting a finger to carry the burdens that they're placing on you. He goes on and he talks about uh, the, the fact that they have broad phylacteries and long fringes. If you know what this means, okay, I'm sorry. But if you don't know, I'll explain it to you. Because <laughs> what's a who here has used the word phylactery in a sentence this past month, year, decade, right? Probably not too often. All right, so... What's a phylactery? A phylactery is a box, has a little band like that, and inside the box there's scripture written, rolled up, placed inside the box, and devout Jews, they would take this and bind it across uh, around their head, or in some instances, it would be on their arm. You can kind of see 
right here where the phylactery is, is placed between their, their eyes, right on their forehead there. And it's their way of always keeping Scripture in front of them. And we talk, he talks about fringes or tassels or, uh, I forget, what's the, what's the word he uses in here? Or, yeah, fringes, right? Fringes long. And so on a prayer shawl, you can see that there are one, two, and then at the back there's uh, three and four. So, so four fringes that are placed on that. And, and this is to remind them to pray and to remind them of the works of the Lord. This is foreign to us, but it's worth recognizing this isn't bad in and of itself. In fact, if we look at Numbers chapter 15, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And that section goes on to talk about this is to help them to remember the Lord and what he's done and how he's taken them out of Egypt. So this is a command from the Lord. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This is where phylacteries come from. In and of itself, the practice of wearing a phylactery or having fringes, it's not wrong. In fact, you can point to Scripture and say they're actually doing the very thing that the Lord said to do. So what they were doing wasn't wrong, but why they were doing it, that was the problem. They did it to look holy and pious, to look special, to be set apart uh, so that they would get the greatest seats at the feasts and at the, in the synagogue so that they would, they would get the front row seats, right, or sit closest to the owner of the house, that, that seat of honor and respect so that when they walked through the marketplace, Everyone saw the scribes and the Pharisees and, oh, look how, look how holy they are. They did it, Jesus tells us, to be seen. And therein lies the problem. I can remember a time when I was in a discussion with a, a group of pastors and we were talking about uh, proper attire, right? And what, what should pastors wear? Should, should pastors wear uh, a, a full suit, a suit and tie, a coat or, or not? Or, you know, what, and what, what does this mean? And one pastor said, and this pastor's, in fact, my friend, who said, 
I've just noticed that when I wear a full suit and a tie, that people give me respect. And when I walk through the church on Sunday mornings, it's like the Red Sea parts when people see me coming through. And I was like, eh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that ain't good. Uh, I can think of another story. A pastor's wife, who I won't name names at this point, but uh, for the sake of the sermon, someone came up to her and said, Hey, Jenny, how's it going? Her response was, It's Mrs. Jones to you. Can you believe how disrespectful this person was to the pastor's wife? Yikes. I've been to churches, been to worship, churches that I, I was like, man, this, this is a cool place. Like, I want to go and experience worship there. And I get in, and no joke, the front rows of the, the pews or chairs in that setting, they were reserved. And they weren't reserved. It wasn't a funeral, and it was like reserved for the family or something like that. No, it was reserved. Seats were reserved for VIP members, people who gave enough to pay for the front seats. Now, you can already tell this wasn't a Lutheran church, right? If it's a Lutheran church, the VIP seats would be in the back, right? But I digress, right? In our world today, we can think of maybe celebrity pastors, people who are charismatic and have lots of views and hits online and get lots of attention and for good or bad, make their way onto talk shows or podcasts or whatever the, good, whatever the case may be. And it's really important for us to be discerning. As Christians, we can't be so naive as to think that everything that's described as Christian, that everyone who holds a Bible, who's doing it for the right reasons. Sometimes the things of God can be the very things that are used to manipulate other people, to jockey for position and authority. What are some subtle ways that we use religion to put ourselves above others? One I can think of. Has to do with men. Husbands or dads who use the scriptures to hold their family in submission. Right? I've been in the counseling office with a couple on the brink of divorce, and, the, and the, father, or the husband says, you can't divorce me because God hates divorce. See, the Bible says so as he's 
abusive to his spouse. There are people who use the word of the Lord to say, see, look at the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And they abuse that. We cannot use a pass- passages like in this understanding of a men as the head of a home to gain our position by power, to use it to abuse others. It's, it just doesn't work that way. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if any man is doing such things, he doesn't know the word of the Lord. He might sit in Moses' seat, figuratively speaking, but he doesn't know Jesus, and he needs to repent because (laughs) the time is short, friends. The Lord is coming back, and when Jesus comes back and sees men not caring for and loving their families, but abusing their spiritual authority as head of the homes, he's going to have a few words to say before he sends us off to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It can happen in a million different ways. How do we, we need to think, how do we use Religion for position. Jesus goes on and he says, Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes. Don't care or worry about what other people think about you. And he goes on and he actually says, Don't seek. Titles, even. Verse 8, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now, I would argue that that Jesus' point here isn't um, prohibiting the titles father, teacher, instructor, rabbi, per se. Not prohibiting the titles in and of themselves. Jesus himself was called a rabbi. If we look other places in the New Testament, we see that offices, titles are are given. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, overseers. So what does that look like to be Humbled, uh, or, or to live humbly. There's a multitude of things that we can focus on. But in this text in particular, I think what Jesus really wants to draw our attention and motivate us to do is to serve others. Right? So uh, out, of, out of humility, we seek to, to serve others. And and I might expand upon this so that it doesn't just uh, kind of go in one ear and out the other, but serve others when it's not convenient for you. 
Oftentimes, we, we like to fit our service into our schedule. Ah, I can do on November 23rd at 2 p.m. I have a window open. I can do some service at a food pantry that day. I've talked to people who work at nursing homes, and they're overwhelmed at this time of year. Everyone wants to come and serve at a nursing home between around Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And to bring gifts, and, and, and th- those are good things. But this person at the nursing homes w- was saying, like, oh, where are these people January through October? <laughs> we could use a little dispersion. There's so many people that want to serve it, it's almost overwhelming for the residents of the nursing home at that time. It's easy to schedule our service for others when we aren't busy or tired or overwhelmed. So, uh, humble service, it's not just uh, we do it when it's not convenient, but we provide, provide humble service to those people whom we don't want to serve. Maybe these are the people who are your political opponents, your theological opponents, those people who should be serving us. I am the CEO of this company by, by, as it goes, right? Why should I serve them? Those maybe who already have everything. Maybe we look at it and we're like, we don't want to serve them. On their high horse. They have everything. We, we, we don't need that. Maybe we don't want to serve those who have made poor life choices and don't deserve it. They don't deserve our humble service. There's a little pride right there, right? And what's the other thing with, with service? I, I mean, service, this kind of goes without saying, but service at our, at our expense, at our unplanned expense. Like, sometimes when we serve others, we're going to be taken advantage of. Sometimes when we serve others, things are going to get broken. When, when we invite people over to our, family, or to our home to have dinner with us and we serve them and they bring their family and they bring their kids, there's a good chance that the wall is going to get dinged, that something's going to get knocked off the end table, the lamp's going to get broken. <sighs> Service isn't always neat and clean and easy. And this idea of, of humble service to others, it, if, if, if you're anything like me, it can feel overwhelming. Feel like <laughs> the Lord's maybe calling me to bear a load that's too heavy while He's sitting there telling us what to do. But then we remember. We remember the humble service of our Lord Jesus. At times when it wasn't convenient. For him. 
there's a story in the scriptures where Jesus was going to raise a father's daughter from the dead. Like, that's pretty important, right? Um, probably takes priority. This man's distraught. Jesus is on his way. People are sad. He's got his mind focused. And on the way to, get, to, to raise this little girl from the dead, someone grabs the fringe of his cloak. A woman who had a perpetual bleed that wouldn't stop. She'd gone to doctors. Nothing cured it. And Jesus stopped. Who touched me? The disciples were like, oh, well, the, the, these are crowded streets. People are pushing it. No, no. Someone, I felt power go out for me. Who touched me? And he heals this woman before he goes to raise the dead. Was Jesus busy? Yeah. Did he take time? Certainly did. Jesus served people to whom he didn't necessarily want to serve. When he goes, when he's on the cross, and he, he says the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who, who's Jesus looking at? Who's Jesus speaking about? And he says, says those words. I mean, broadly, sure, everybody, you and me included, but specifically at that time, the very people who are spitting at, at him, the very people who are mocking him, the very people who had worked and plotted to get him nailed upon the cross are the people that Jesus is speaking about, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. Whoa. That's pretty remarkable. And of course, Jesus did this at his own expense. Brian, do you have the microphone? Yeah. I'd like to take a moment. Think, think of what it cost Jesus to serve us. Anyone? Any ideas? Flynn, uh, let's wait for the mic. His life? <laughs> Amen. He died on the cross for us to serve us. Yeah. Any other? I mean, there, there's more to it. Uh, any, any other thoughts? What things did Jesus have to pay in order to serve us. What did it cost him? Donalins? He was hated and ostracized by so many people and uh, um, not included and, um, and treated with not just disdain but with physical violence. Jesus was hated by other people. As someone who likes to be liked, <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel that one. Think about it. For three, the, his three-year ministry, from beginning to end, the whole time people were plotting to kill him. We're plotting against him. We're speaking. like They were just waiting for the right time. I, 
imagine how much anxiety that would cause someone for three years to have to endure that. Yeah, very good, awesome, thank you. Any, anyone else? The other one that I, that I thought of that hit me hard was Jesus gave up his, his family. Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is what he utters from the cross. His father turns away from Jesus as he bears the sin of the world. And I think of my own family, whom I love, who I work hard to provide for and care for. Jesus loved his father much more than I could ever possibly, in my brokenness and fallenness, love my family. And yet he gave that up. He gave up his, his mother on earth so that he could serve us. <laughs> he gave up lots of things. So you, you get the point. Jesus gave these things up for us out of his humble servant. Stay there, Brian, because we'll have another round in just a minute. And Jesus tells us, he's like, I have not come to be served. This is Matthew 20, verse 28, if you want to look it up. I haven't come to be served, but to serve. And that's still happening today. And what, what needs, so we, we talked about what it cost Jesus to serve us, but what, what needs do we have that Jesus serves. Any thoughts? How does Jesus serve you? This is important because it's not okay to just kind of go through the motions of, of faith and we hear these things. Yeah, Jesus served us, but wait, how? Any, any thoughts? Donalyn, go ahead. You know I don't need a microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, you do because it needs to be caught on the recording. So okay. there you go. So. Um, I, I went to um, a, a, a large kind of Unitarian church in Atlanta, and the pastor said once, and it, it changed my life as a Christian, he said, you can't out-sin God. And I had to kind of think about that, but what I feel like my relationship with Jesus is, I can't, I can't be the baddest person on earth and he'll hate me. Yeah. No matter what I do, Jesus has unconditional love for me as long as I keep my hands open and keep him in my life. And it doesn't mean I just can do anything I want, but when I am fall short of what I think a good Christian is he's still loving me with the kind of love that he had for his father. Yeah, so, so we, need, we need forgiveness, right? How do we need to be served by Jesus? We need forgiveness, first of all, right? Flynn, go ahead. A good place to go when we die. We live in a world that maybe forgets about the fact that... Um, the finite, what we see here, isn't everything. There is eternity ahead of us. Jesus wants us 
to be with him for eternity. There is a day that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to take his followers with him. He gives us a good place to go. When he does, he invites us to his table to feast with him. It's going to be good. I place my hope in that. I imagine that's what our kids learned about in, in, today in children's church when they talked about hope. So, yeah, a home, a heavenly home, right? Good. Other thoughts. What else does Jesus give? He gives us forgiveness. He gives us a home. John. He gives us a, a real example of how to conduct ourselves in our own lives. The, you know, the question I want to ask, what would Jesus do? Right, right, right. So, so in, in a good example to follow. So he gives us God's word so that we even know what right and wrong is and so we can have a moral foundation for, for the things that we do that we're, we're called to love. But what does that even mean? What does that look like? Yeah. He gives us life. Wholeness. How many people here can't wait until their breathing issue goes away, until uh, they get their, their new hips, that's me, right? Uh, until they maybe uh, lose a few pounds <laughs> and, and can do what they used to do when they were younger. Uh, we're, we're promised new physical bodies. That's one way that Jesus serves us. In, in the midst of all that is so important for us to focus on what Jesus gave up for us humbly to serve us and what his service actually gives to us. And maybe the biggest thing, or <laughs> maybe that's hyperbole, but one thing for sure is, is this, family, brotherhood. He, he says this in verse 8, you are all brothers and sisters, right? We are family. And, and what do we get to do and I was trying to model this for us today, we get to proclaim the wonders of God's mercy and humble service and grace to each other. It's not just me who gets to talk about Jesus and what he's done because I have some title. No, we share that with each other, the mutual consolation of the brotherhood. And so when, when Jesus teaches, and when he instructs, when he exhorts, when he leads us, when he calls us to follow him, he does so as someone who has first practiced what he preached and led a life of humble service. Who says? Jesus. And we can trust that Jesus' words are good and gracious for us. May we follow him in everything that we say and everything that we do in this life. To him be the glory. Amen.